Hello, and welcome to the Green Tea Party, where we discuss conservative solutions to environmental problems. I'm Hannah Rogers. My name is Zach Torpy. And I'm Katie Zakreski. Together, we'll guide you through complex issues and provide strategies to address them, all while remaining faithful to our conservative values. Trust me, it'll be a good time. <laughs> yeah, it's a party. So grab your mugs and we'll pour the tea. So, Anna, what are your new resolutions? Oh, I feel like I'm put on the spot. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so, I have been working with a therapist recently. This is going to be maybe not TMI, but I couldn't figure out why I had the hardest time focusing on my projects when I was at my house. And she told me that my house is traumatizing me because it's not very well decorated. So, I'm going to redecorate my house. <laughs> and oh, wow. Out. Yeah, and so my, yeah, but I think my house. Well, it's also because like a lot of like very sad things have happened in my house, and so I'm oh. reacting to like the blandness of it. Because my upstairs, my like main living space is like totally gorgeous. I have a bunch of beautiful paintings hanging up and stuff, but where my bedroom is is just I didn't put any effort into it, and like it just is sad. And so my therapist was like, "You need to up the the homeliness, like the coziness of your room." So that you're not like freaking out when you're in there. And I was like, oh, so that's my New Year's resolution is to make my house more of a home. Got to throw an accent wall in. Right. Yeah, I'm going to throw a few accent walls in. Okay, what about you guys? Now, Zach, what about you? Oh, I guess my goal for the year is to pass my uh, professional engineering exam. All right, let's go make that money. Yeah, after that, I'll be able to say I'm a real engineer. <laughs> oh, wow. That's you thought you were, Zach. You already were in our hearts. <laughs> Thank you. Katie, what's your what's your New Year's resolution? Oh, God. Where do I begin? Lose weight. Go to the gym. Get a plant and then not let it die in two weeks. Maybe clean more than once a millennium. Pick. I think I'm just going to like throw a bunch in a hat and pull one out. Spend less money. I don't, I don't know. Maybe do something fun. I have no idea. There's like four hundred different things to go. Um, I'm still trying to narrow it down to something actually tangible so that I can get the satisfaction of seeing it through this time next year. If I if I'm alive this time next year with all the stuff I got planned coming up in the next six months between getting married and graduating, it will be nothing short of a miracle. Whoa, you're getting married and graduating. I know. Yeah, you know, I really said okay. Take every major life event, do it all in six months. Let's see how we can do it, gang. Speed run. Speed running life, yeah. <laughs> Hannah, you said you're graduating. Where are you graduating from? I'm um, the University of Utah. I'm going to be have a degree in geography and climate science. Oh, that's so awesome. We're going to make a lot of money with that, too. I know. I'm I'm excited about it. But low-key, I'm, I'm going to miss being in a sorority and just pooping around on the weekends and having no adult responsibilities. I mean, I do do real things. Like, I'm a very busy person constantly. I'm not going to miss that. I'm going to miss, not going to miss having a 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. life. I want, I'm excited for a nine to five, but I'm going to miss like my friends and my sorority, you know? Well, I'm not going to spoil the man-made horrors of adulthood for you. I'll let that hit you like a truck itself in six months, but we offer you moral support and we're very proud of you. <laughs> we offer you moral support and we're very proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid for that like post-graduation existential crisis, so I'm prepping myself for that. Yeah. It's something else. I'm still kind of coping with it. I- I'm getting ready to graduate grad school, and I'm I'm still coping with the, what do I want to be when I grow up after having tried to navigate that for like 
almost four years now. Graduating during a pandemic sure didn't help. Definitely. Yeah. So, so, so it's only up from here? Question mark? Question mark? Yeah. Question mark. Sure that Michael can reassure us. We have Michael Jeffries back on as guest. Michael, what are your New Year's resolutions? Yeah, I'm a lot like uh, Katie here. There's just so many things I could be doing better. But I think the big one is I want to be going to the gym. Obtainable. <laughs> that's a board. Always have a goal you can get. And I guess having the numbers is good. Twice a week, have a have a, a number goal. Measurable. That way I'm not disappointed in myself, I feel like. So I'm like, ah, I can be disappointed that I didn't meet this goal and not just myself generally, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I used to have five-day-a-week goals for the gym, and that wasn't happening. Uh, who who has the time? There are only Lauren, 24 hours in a day. Oh, my <laughs> gravy. As long as there are only 24 hours in a day, we can limit gym once or twice a week. But again, I'm, I'm also, if anybody here has ever seen me, I'm definitely not your fitness guru go-to. So I admire the tenacity of everybody. By this time next year, you will be. Yeah, well, we'll see about that, Michael. Let's let's. Yeah, I, I appreciate your optimism. I really do. Let's see. Uh, let's see if I hold out more than past the end of January. So I think I will, kid. You got. I hope so. Thanks, guy. We believe. We believe. Y'all believe. Hopefully, we will believe soon. <laughs> and we're glad to have Michael back here. To we're going to talk a lot of policy and wonkiness today. Michael, you spent a lot of time working on political campaigns. What was that like? What are some policies you really enjoyed advocating for during those campaigns? Yeah, well, I wasn't mostly advocating for policies. I was mostly advocating for people. So I worked on campaigns all through college. I continued to work on campaigns for a political consulting firm after I graduated. But in college, it was honestly, it was a ton of fun. It was all grassroots kind of stuff, like door-to-door, making phone calls. I was recruiting, directing volunteers. The stuff that I really loved to do was that that door-to-door campaigning because I got to go and talk to, you know, ordinary people who really probably weren't that plugged in. And then I got to hear about what they cared about. And then I got to try to connect them back to like, oh, yeah, my candidate. Senator Todd Young, let's say I was I was on his campaign in college, you know, if there, you know, he was a really bipartisan legislator. So I could like always like really hype up that aspect. I could hype up, you know, his stances on Social Security, which weren't very popular, but they were needed <laughs> and stuff like that. But then, you know, it was a lot of fun, made a ton of great friends and a lot of good connections. When I went to the political consulting firm, I was really, when it came to our political campaigns, I was mostly doing planning, creating strategies, creating strategic plans for our political campaigns and pitching them to candidates. And then I would work on creating messaging materials and scripts for volunteers and then doing a lot of like data stuff as well, a lot of, a lot of really trying to figure out like what neighborhood, like we would get down to like, oh, what neighborhoods do we need to hit kind of thing. And, you know, I continue to be involved in doing that kind of stuff. I continue knocking on doors for candidates from time to time. I really do miss the data. I love going through the spreadsheets and having my, my precinct by precinct data and comparing it through different districting years and all that stuff. Is that sort of what led you into 
working for a CCL? Well, no, not really, actually. So I started work. I, I started volunteering for CCL when I was still in college. I was part of a group on campus called Students for Sustainable Stewardship, which was founded by CCL's current senior director of development or development officer, senior development officer. I think that's what this title is, Topher Anderson. And we were we were actually roommates in college. He had this faith-based environmental organization that he founded in response to Pope Francis' Laudato Si' encyclical. And basically, I got involved in that, and I and I loved it, and I always cared about sustainability for, you know, the last episode we talked about that hideous strength, but also was really moved by things like Lord of the Rings and just kind of the vision of how we should be taking care of and treating our planet as a gift, right? But then when Topher graduated, he learned about CCL at a tabling event. And he was like, boy, who would love CCL and talking about car and learning about carbon pricing? Michael Jeffries. And he was right. Like I loved, (laughs) I learned about carbon pricing from him and I was really on board. And I started actually out as Senator Braun's liaison when I was a senior in college. He really highlighted me because of my experience working in political campaigns and talk my kind of comfort talking with legislators and people like that yeah so that's how i got connected to ccl but we did do actually we did do renewable energy work for my that political consulting firm as well because we did government affairs as well so i was in the state house doing stuff like that and we did do renewable energy work we advocated for distributed generation like which is usually you're when you're thinking distributed generation you're thinking of like solar panels on your house rooftop solar and the amount of money that you can make by selling your energy that you produce, your excess solar energy, back to the grid. And we fought and lost all kinds of battles about that <laughs> here in Indiana. Also battles about siting standards and stuff like that for renewable energy. Lar- large-scale renewable energy as well. Interesting. Are there any uh, policies that um, CCL's been advocating for that you are particularly passionate about? Oh, yeah. Carbon fee and dividend. It's always my first love, you know, and it it just always comes back as being the policy, which has been CCL's kind of main policy. So for those who aren't familiar with Citizens Climate Lobby, for about 10 years of Citizens Climate Lobby's history, we mainly have been advocating for a policy and continues to be our flagship policy called carbon fee and dividend, which is essentially you place a price on carbon, the, the revenue collected from that price on carbon is then given back to households to kind of protect those households from increasing energy costs and to give you a little bit of extra money to maybe put into buying cleaner products to help you reduce your the carbon price that you're kind of participating in. And I've really loved that idea because it's it's you know kind of a simple market-based approach to attacking carbon emissions as just saying like, hey, like this is a, something that is being put out into the air for free. It's damaging the entire world. And um, so we're going to not tell you what to do, but we are going to make you pay for it. And once that's priced into the market, then proper economic decisions can be made and starting to kind of reduce harmful air pollution and, and getting carbon pollution under control. So it's just such a simple, elegant solution to addressing the problem, which is why I've always loved it. 
So that's the main one. I'm happy to talk about more policies. I can talk about CCL policies all day, like. <laughs> oh, that's what we're here for. We'll get, get right into it. Is there anything in particular that you feel affects like a farmer sort of constituency like you deal with in Indiana? Yeah, so CCL has advocated for two bills kind of in the last years around this. And the uh, first one was called the Growing Climate Solutions Act, which I mentioned in that last episode, unless it ended up on the cutting room floor. But what it is, is essentially, this was a bill introduced by my senator, Mike Braun, who I was liaison to just for CCL, so very proud of him. And it was really one of the first big bipartisan climate bills. And he, he introduced it with some leading Democrats in the Senate, and it actually had, you know, I think... 25 Republicans in the Senate as co-sponsors, and I think maybe, I think it was 26 Democrats, so it was like an almost even split of Republican-Democrat co-sponsors in the Senate, and then passed out of the Senate 92 to 8. So this was a huge bipartisan climate bill. And what it did was it basically made it easier for farmers to get paid carbon credits for doing climate-friendly agricultural methods. There's been this thing out there called, you know, carbon credits or carbon offsets where big, big corporations will purchase the carbon credits to offset part of their carbon footprint. And you offset it by verifying that you are actually sequestering excess carbon in the ground based on like what farmers are not using regenerative agricultural methods would use. And this made it easier for there to be proper verification of these farmers and making sure that they are actually putting in these putting these practices in so that way you can provide a lot of stability to the carbon credit market. So it's been really helpful for for farmers to be able to have the stability and backing of the US government to uh, make sure that it's being verified that they are actually doing these these practices here. So that's kind of the first one. Second one is a bill called the Increased TSP Access Act. And this is another great party partisan bill that was authored by Senator Mike Braun and then has great bipartisan support in both houses. In fact, another Indiana representative, Republican Representative Jim Baird, who is representing my home district of Brownsburg, Indiana, and Indiana District 4, is the House sponsor of the bill. Basically, what this does is makes it easier for there to be the people who go out and verify whether or not you are doing these actions correctly to sequester carbon in your ground as a farmer to get paid for carbon credits. The government was given basically the role of certifying a lot of these people through the Growing Climate Solutions Act and ensuring that these technical service providers or the people who do this verification are there and um, are able to do it. But there aren't very many of them, so now there's a lot of farmers who want to participate in them, but there aren't enough technical service providers to actually do the carbon verification. So what this does is it allows other organizations like conservation organizations and trade groups who know the best practices about verifying these carbon sequestration but who currently don't have the authority to give like officially 
certified technical service providers. So by doing this, we'll be able to get a lot more technical service providers out to farmers and allow farmers to really be cashing in on the carbon credit market. That's great. So sort of like answering a a demand side that wasn't being supplied for these service providers and certifying these uh, that they're properly sequestering this carbon. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yeah, I know we're I know in the US we're having a lot of trouble with um solar degradation due to all the over farming and planting that we do. And uh, Yeah. Well we need to bring on a soil expert to really dive into that. That's something that I know we're facing. Yeah, yeah. I was at a conference and I, I saw a presentation from a farmer in Oklahoma going going talking about, you know, people who were planting cover crops, doing the regenerative farming and like looking at their soil compared to the people who were you know, doing these kind of over farming methods and like it's becoming a big and much bigger problem with climate change because like if you, you know, we get less rain overall or, or sometimes we get more rain overall, but it comes kind of all at once. So it's like you get floods and then you have long periods where you don't get as much rain. And then your good topsoil just gets washed away yeah, and you're exactly. You don't have that nutrient-dense soil there. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Okay. Did we want to talk about the CBAM legislation from Senator Cassidy? That would be great. Sure. Hannah, you, you ask away. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So what are, I mean, obviously, you know, we kind of touched a little bit on carbon border adjustments, but what do you see happening with the CBAM that's been proposed by Senator Cassidy from Louisiana? Yeah, well, what I hope to see happening from it is it really starting a real conversation among more Republicans about <clears throat> is this the kind of policy that we can really get behind that's going to seek to take carbon emissions seriously? You know, one of the things that kind of makes me just like really annoyed to no end is when conservatives will come out and say like, yeah, I believe the climate change is happening, but we shouldn't really do anything about it because unless we get China and India on board, then it won't matter. Like it won't matter because they're, you know, the ones increasing their carbon emissions currently. And like, whenever I hear somebody say that, like, I always just want to shout, well, do something about China and India's carbon emissions, like do something to actually get them on board. Stop making excuses. And I think that you know, Senator Cassidy is being a really great leader here, along with Senator Lindsey Graham, in bringing forth a Republican-led climate solution to really start that conversation. And you know, based on a lot of the dynamics within the party over the last several years, I think that this is the kind of solution that could really go a lot a lot farther with your average Republican when it comes to talking about, oh, let's do something about climate change. I think a lot of Republicans aren't quite ready for a carbon price, but like maybe we could put a carbon price or not, let's not put a carbon price. The Cassidy is very clear. It's not a carbon price, but, but like, why don't we charge places like China and India for how much more pollutants go into making their products versus ours and recognizing how that gives them an unfair trade advantage. Yeah. And another thing is I think about a lot is with the CBAM is how often American companies 
will avoid environmental regulations in the United States by offshoring their manufacturing. So this kind of makes sure that there's no pollution safe haven around the world that American companies can just hide from. Yeah, exactly. You know, when you get into the technical specifics of the bill, you know, if you go to a country where we have a free trade agreement, I think that you don't have to, you basically get exempt from the fee. And if you go to a less developed country, a low income or low medium income country, oftentimes it seems like from the specifics in the bill, it looks like you can get around a lot of this stuff because, which I understand, like we don't want to be punishing the poorest countries in the world for the fact that like they don't have the most advanced renewable technology in the world. But I would I would be a little concerned about the possibility of some of that happening. And maybe there's ways to get around that loophole. Oh, yeah, totally. So the next policy that we will talk about is the Big Wires Act and TSP Access Act. I guess we just barely talked about the TSP Access Act. Did we did we touch at all on the big wires yet? No, we haven't. Okay, okay. Do we want to talk about that a little bit and kind of why it's good for conservatives as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Big Wires Act really falls under one of the pillars of CCL's policy. So, Citizens Climate Lobby, we have policies of areas of, you know, we advocate for putting a price on pollution. We advocate for natural climate solutions, electrifying buildings and increasing building efficiency. But we also advocate for permitting reform. And permitting reform is essentially saying, like, we need to get the government out of the way and make it simpler to build out the kind of clean energy technology that we need now. So what I love about the Big Wires Act is that it seeks to address this on this issue of transmission infrastructure. And for those of you listening, I don't know how familiar you are with the problems around transmission infrastructure, but essentially, you know, there's been a lot of studies out there done by people like the Department of Energy, as well as people like the National Energy Reliability Corporation, whose kind of job is making sure that we are producing, or actually I think it's the North American Energy Reliability Corporation. And they, their job is to monitor how much energy is being produced in Canada and the U.S. and saying, is this really enough? Do, do we need to be making more? And they all say that in order to meet some of the reliability pitfalls that we have when it comes to our energy, we need to be increasing our transmission infrastructure. And those are the big wires that you'll see when you're going along the interstate and stuff like that. And they help to carry high voltage amounts of electricity all over the place from where it's produced to where it needs to be consumed. <clears throat> and the Big Wires Act seeks to address that problem of helping us to get more transmission infrastructure built. So essentially, we need to be building three times as much transmission lines as we have right now by 2050, according to the Department of Energy. But also, it takes 10 years on average because of the complex regulatory process to build out new long-distance transmission lines. So we need to triple our energy, our transmission lines in 30 years. But it takes about 10 years to build out a single project. So we have a big problem. We need to take care of that. And the Big Wires does that in a way that I think is really in line with conservative principles by <clears throat> essentially it sets a goal that 
these regional transmission organizations, which are, they kind of plan how the movement and sale of electricity across different utility coverage footprints across the country are moving. So like I live in Indiana, we have a regional transmission organization called MISO, which serves me. We have another one called PJM, which serves a small portion of Indiana, as well as like going all the way over to like New Jersey. And MISO and PJM historically haven't transferred a lot of electricity between each other. But with the Big Wires Act, they'll be required to build up the kind of connections between each other so that way they can transfer up to 30% of the, the what we call the peak capacity load, which is like on your hottest or coldest day, how much energy are you going to need? So you need to be able to get 30% of that in between the MISO region, which is like the Midwest of Indian, of, of the U.S., and into PJM, which would be like the over to the Northeast. And currently, like a lot of different regional transmission organizations only are able to transfer like 1% to 3% of their load. And this just says like, hey, I'm not going to tell you how to do this. I'm just requiring that you come up with a plan to reach this goal. So that way, we're going to be building out the transmission infrastructure that we need to support the clean energy technologies that are being built all over the country, which need a lot more transmission lines. Basically, the big, the big thing is that there would be no new government control brought through this, but it would help us to meet these transmission needs that we have. And it would help us to get a lot more clean energy online because you have to build transmission lines from where the clean energy projects are to where they need to be used. So as you're building out clean energy all over the place, you need to have the transmission lines go in there. And then it doesn't bring any cost to government either. So that's a bill that I really like, but it can be a little bit complicated to those who aren't plugged into the energy conversation. Well, thank you so much for expanding on that. That was very in-depth and very thorough. And uh, Michael, do you have another book you would like to suggest? Yeah, my second book that I would like to suggest would be The Silmarillion. And I suggest The Silmarillion because, again, kind of going on the theme of my previous recommendation of that hideous strength, there's just this this very deep appreciation for nature and kind of infused throughout this book that J.R. Tolkien had created. So The Silmarillion is a book by J.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, more famously. And it's kind of this whole ancient history of the world of Middle-earth before Lord of the Rings, going from like literally its first day of creation all the way up to when Morgoth, who was Sauron's box, boss, you know, for those who know what Lord of the Rings is, was defeated. And kind of throughout the, all of it, there's this real recognition that like nature is a gift, we need to live and a good, right relationship with it, and that's part of what living a good, rightly ordered life is. And the the kind of evil forces who come in, one of their hallmarks is that they want to destroy all that which is good, natural, and beautiful, and replaces that with is like ugly and only serves a crude practical purpose. 
And again, that's just been really like influential on my way of thinking and just provides this really beautiful vision for the world. It's also just a great story. All right. Thanks for plugging that. I do enjoy this Merlin. All right. Yeah. Super. Action steps for today. Yeah. Read Michael's suggestion, The Cimmerillion. It's a great book. Very long read. Very. It's all, you know, it's less than 300 pages. Just feels long. <laughs> very, very godlike in the beginning. <laughs> and for you, who I got? Wait, you remember to Congress? I was right. You remember to Congress? Follow Michael Jeffries on, I guess, LinkedIn and uh, reach out to CCL. Yeah, reach out to CCL if you are a conservative. Go to cclusa.org slash conservatives. You can learn more about how CCL is empowering conservatives to speak out on climate issues, and you can learn how to get plugged into our conservative climate caucus that we have, which is it's a group that meets monthly, and it is a people who are you know conservative like you who want to help advance these issues. So check it out, learn more. Yeah, awesome. And for your listener, please email us with your thoughts. Our email is info at greenteapartyradio.com. Thank you so much for listening to Green Tea Party Radio. And a very special thank you to all of our patrons. We absolutely could not do this without you. And if you're interested in getting early access to episodes as well as Green Tea Party Radio merch, check us out at greenteapartyradio.com. If you have feedback, tell us what's on your mind and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And just so you know, this is our passion project. We don't have any organization sponsored. We're building a movement because we want to. And because we want the world to know that conservatives have important things to say about climate change. And if you want to hear our show on your college radio station, email us at info@greenteapartyradio.com and give us the details about your campus and your radio station. The email again is info@greenteapartyradio.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you, Mike, for giving us a great interview. Yeah, thanks for having me. Conservative and concerned about climate change. You're not alone. My name is Chelsea Henderson, and I host RepublicEN.org's Eco Right Speaks, bringing you weekly guest interviews and stories. John Kasich, Christine Todd Whitman, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, meteorologist Marshall Shepard. Each week, we have a conversation with an Eco Right leader, bringing you information, opinions, personal stories, and much, much more. Download, listen, subscribe, and join us each week on the Eco Right Speaks.